Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading this this morning. As we continue in our series in 1 Samuel, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to be there in a few minutes. Uh, but I want to share with you again this morning, I, I talked about this last week, uh, but because it was Labor Day, it's good to repeat things. And because some of you didn't hear it, uh, but we uh, here at First Baptist Friendswood, uh, we don't often, and especially kind of post-COVID, we don't pass an offering plate and we don't talk about our finances very much or giving, uh, usually kind of three times a year uh, during this season, kind of mid-August through early September. And then November, December, we talk about giving again because that's usually a real big emphasis for missions, uh, particularly worldwide missions where we uh, want to support missionaries around the world who take the gospel uh, to the far reaches of the world. And then usually in February, uh, which is like our halfway point uh, in our budget year. Well, this is a season where we we just passed our budget for the new year. Uh, But instead of talking about the budget for a minute, I want to talk to you how we get to the budget and, and why we have a budget here at First Baptist Friendswood. Uh, you may know, if you visit our website uh, lately, you may know our mission statement, which is leading people to experience the fullness of life in Christ. Uh, as soon as you pull up our, mission, our website, it's right there. Uh, that is our mission statement. It never changes. That's who we are. We want to help people experience full life in Jesus Christ. Because our little world, particularly in southeast Houston suburbia, Uh, thinks that if we have a great house, uh, some good cars, a good job, our kids are going to the best schools uh, in all the world, and they're going to go to college and be successful, that we've got a full life. And those are all great and wonderful things, but oftentimes those become our little G-God. And we want people to understand there's full life found in Jesus Christ and Him and Him alone. And so that's our, our mission statement. And then uh, that, that never changes. How I carry that out is actually kind of a fourfold strategy to carry out that mission. And, and you'll see it around. We talk about it some. It's to worship where we gather not just in this place because worship is not an event. Uh, worship is not a time. Uh, and it's not a place either. Worship is, is a, a lifestyle. Uh, worship is my response to God for his great love and care for me. It's my response to his holiness, his majesty, his power. And so I want to live a life of worship. Part of that is gathering together as a people of God. Uh, Part of that is your responsibility to have that ongoing relationship with him. Uh, Part of that is giving. Uh, And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But then we want to connect. We want to worship. We want to connect with one another. That's why we do Sunday school. That's why we have small groups. That's why we meet on Wednesday nights and do some different things because we want to connect with one another, to encourage each other, to, to help each other become more like Christ, and also to bear one another's burdens. Like last time I checked, life is not so easy, uh, especially uh, if you're breathing, Right? It's just, it's difficult uh, sometimes. And, and I'm thankful, uh, John, uh, that song we just sang is apropos because John was on life support for 10 days. Uh, and, and now he's alive and God's not done with him yet. So, <laughs> uh, so it was a great testament. So life is challenging uh, sometimes. And, and so we need to connect with one another. And we uh, have that little word invest. And most of us think about money when we think about investment. But when we talk about investment, it, it's our calling as people who follow Jesus Christ to grow spiritually. 
And so we have an opportunity every day of our lives to invest in our spiritual growth. And we as the church, the body of Christ, the people of God, to come alongside you and help you grow spiritually. That's why we do discipleship classes. That's why our students on Wednesday night meet in small groups so that they can grow and and be sharpened by one another and someone who's a little further along in their faith. And and then we serve. Uh, We want to serve one another. We want to serve our community. We want to serve the world because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. Uh, what, what a great testimony for us to give our lives away. And so that, that's why we exist and, and how we accomplish what we do. And then, and then there are seasons in the life of the church where we have a very focused and specific vision. And, and a few years ago, we, we developed uh, with a group of our staff and some lay leaders in the church, we developed a vision to, to look at these next five to seven years and say, what is the thing that God wants us to accomplish in this season in the life of the church? And, and that vision, as you've heard me say it uh, a bunch, if you've been around the last three years, uh, is to prepare and send disciple-making missionaries. That's you. That's me. People who become more like Christ, who learn to be more like Jesus, that's a disciple, but then also live out that faith by drawing others in, by making more disciples. Uh, Being a missionary wherever we go, whether that's in school, our neighborhood, our workplace, our family. So we will prepare and send disciple-making missionaries who strengthen families, who love our neighbors, and who transform the community with the gospel. Uh, We're all pretty cool but not as cool as the gospel. Uh, And and so that's what the transformative power is of the gospel, not of us. And so the reason why, uh, how we accomplish that, how we do some of that, is to develop a budget so that we can accomplish what you see on the screen behind you. That's why we have a budget, so that we can accomplish what God has called us to do. And so our budget for this year is $1.746 million dollars. That's about $33,500 a week. But with that, I want to remind you about some of the wonderful, amazing things that God does through our vision. It gives us an opportunity every week to go to Clear Creek ISD and one school in particular, Landell Elementary uh, on El Dorado, and invest in 10, 12, 14 kids individually that you, some of you, go and spend an hour a week encouraging a young child who, who needs a trusted adult. Investing in one child and making a difference in his, and her, his or her life. That, that's what that goes to. It goes to gathering 450 crazed children at the last, at the end of June every year, that fill this sanctuary. It's a thing we called Vacation Bible School. And, and the vision to strengthen families through their kids, not just at Vacation Bible School, but then a month later at Connect Camp, where 150 kids were running around, going crazy, learning about Jesus, so that we can invest in the spiritual growth of the next generation of people. It's also to do very kind of practical things. If you've been around campus uh, the last month, you might have seen on Building A, which is our oldest building, a beautiful, luxurious, expansive blue tarp. Because 
because we had leaks, dramatic leaks, all throughout building, building A because the roof was in disrepair. And this week, the roof has been repaired, and we've even got a few photos there, uh, so, that, so that when your kids are over there in Sunday school or on Wednesday night, they don't have to worry about, well, actually, let me say it, so that the teachers don't have to worry about the rain coming in on them. And, and what's the beauty of that? The beauty of that is most of you didn't even know it was an issue. I didn't have to come and ask for the $40,000 that it costs to do that because of your faithfulness and the faithfulness of people who have been a part of our congregation for years and years and years, who give to the vision of the church and say, you know what, we know that part of the vision is some real practical things like air conditioning and roofs so that we can accomplish ministry. It's, it's carrying out an and a gathering last night right in this room with 80 or so men. And I appreciate Todd, who spoke last night, is here this morning with us, worshiping with us. Where our, our men were, were called to live differently in their daylight fluorescent orange. If you're a wife or a kid, ask your dad about it if you came. So that we would live differently in a world where it's easy to blend in. God calls us to live differently so we can strengthen families. And yesterday morning, I had the opportunity along with about 10 or 12 of our folks to bless some families over in our gym. 1977, that gym was built for $500,000. It was giant money back then. That was an act of faith by the people of First Baptist Friendswood then. Were we able to bless some families who have foster children? We had an art day, and they came, and some of our folks just encouraged them, put stickers on journals, got glue everywhere, glitter, had fun, just loving on them so that we can be a bright light in an otherwise dark world. And so as you and I think about who we are and where we are and what our vision is, uh, our budget for 2022-2023 needs you. Our vision needs you. And so if you're giving faithfully, if you're tithing, that's 10%, kind of sort of the standard in uh, church life and the scriptures, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the vision of First Baptist Friends where that we can accomplish all that we accomplish. If you're here this morning or watching online and, and you're not giving, I want to invite you to experience the blessing of giving. Start somewhere. Start at some amount and say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you with this amount because I believe in what's happening at the church, through the church, through the people of God. Just start somewhere and be regular, ongoing, consistent in your giving and God will bless that and use it mightily. Because I believe that, that God has great things in store for our church, for our community, and for our region, not through David, Matt, Randy, Stephanie. No, through you. He's got great and mighty things in store because of you, disciple-making missionaries who will go out and strengthen families, love neighbors, and transform the community with the gospel. And so let's be that kind of people as we move through this, our budget year.
And so now that that public service announcement is over, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Because th- this is an, an amazing passage. Uh, there's, I, I probably could spend four weeks just on this passage of Scripture. Uh, we're going to spend one because 1 Samuel is long and, and we're going to make it through. But 1 Samuel 3 is about where Samuel hears from God and he doesn't recognize it at first. But, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a time in, in the life of America that has always intrigued me. Some of you know that I have an undergraduate degree in political science and economics from a great university. Um, and so, I'm not going to say anything because then we'll get off into football. Uh, but, but one of my great loves during my undergraduate degree was studying about presidents. And I'm always intrigued by the time period between November, the first week of November, and the third week of January, when the president who is currently in office will no longer be in office in January, whether it was their two terms or it was a one term and they got voted out. We call that the lame duck season of a presidency from November to January. It's amazing to me. I I wish I could be in the White House during that time period because the president of the United States still has to sort of run the country, but he's done. He's, He's finished. And all of his staff are trying to find jobs because they're all out of a job now. Because usually what that means is the person from the other political party won and we got to go find a real job now. And then all the people in the new presidency are trying to vie for a position at the table and get a job with the new president and the new administration. And so there's this amazing time called lame duck where actually work has to be done, but nobody wants to do anything. And nobody cares about what's happening. Well, we see that several times, actually, in the Scripture, a similar concept. When Saul was king of Israel, but David had been anointed, we're going to read about it later in Samuel, there was a time period where Saul's still king, but David is waiting, and everyone knows David's the man. But David doesn't mess with Saul, because Saul's still the man. And In this passage we're going to read today, it's the same thing. Eli is the priest. But God's going to tell him, your days are up. And Samuel is going to be the new prophet of the Lord. But Eli is still the priest. And so there's this waiting game of what happens in the interim. How how, how do things go when there's transition that needs to happen? And so that's, as we think about this passage today, that's one thing that I want you to think about is what do I do while I wait? What do I do while I wait? And then how well do I listen? Not just in that waiting period. How well do I listen all the time? And who do I listen to? Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, I know how that feels, 
was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, is that cool or what? You're sleeping next to the ark of the covenant. Indiana Jones fans, like that's rare air there and living. You live to tell about it. I don't get my theology from movies, but just bear with me. But here's Samuel sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. How cool is that? Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here am I. Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Speak, for your servant hears. As we read this passage, God called Samuel's name four times, four different occasions. Three times he wasn't quite sure. The fourth time, thanks to his good friend Eli, he recognized it was the voice of the Lord. As just a good reminder for you and me, God doesn't usually raise his voice, but he will repeat himself. He doesn't usually raise his voice, but he will repeat himself. And so if there's something in your life that you keep getting the message over and over and over and over again, it's probably not a message you want to ignore. God's not a God who yells. He's consistent. He's assured. He's direct. And he wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Do you know, keeping with our presidential theme, do you know that the president can text you? Has anybody ever had the president text you? Anybody? Like, I, that would be awesome. One liar in the room, good. <laughs> two, two liars in the room, good. Like, okay, now we're going down together. No, but he could. You know how he could? Because President Bush, after Hurricane Katrina, was frustrated that there was no good way to communicate to the people of America when emergency management wasn't going as planned. And so he enacted the wireless emergency alert. So the President of the United States could send a text message to all of us, if you have a cell phone, straight from the White House. If he wanted to talk to you, he could. He could show up at your door too, which would be a little more nerve-wracking. 
But he, if he wanted to, he could. God wants to talk to you and me. He wants to have a relationship with you and me. And God calls Samuel three times. It even took Eli, the, the priest, a, a little bit to kind of figure out. Eli is a little older at this point. Obviously, his boys are grown. They're men. And, and maybe he doesn't sleep well at night like most people. Once you get to middle age and beyond, you don't sleep great at night all the time. And so he might have been tossing and turning as well. And Eli or Samuel comes in. He's like, Samuel, I go back to bed. It wasn't me. But then finally, when he gets his wits about him, he realizes there's something different about this. There's some great lessons here about God's patience with us. God didn't go to Samuel one time, and because Samuel missed, missed it and thought it was Eli, God just didn't go to the next person because Samuel didn't catch it the first time. Samuel didn't catch it the second time or the third time, but God was patient with this young man because God wanted to speak to him and not just speak to him. What did he do? He came and stood, stood. Now I'm assuming Samuel was sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant, which in itself is the greatest thing in the world. And then on top of that, the icing on the cake is God stands next to him, next to the Ark of the Covenant. Like God is in his presence speaking to him. That, that's how much concern and care he has for this young boy who didn't know him yet, by the way. Who, who didn't have a relationship with God yet. Who, who God hadn't opened his heart yet and revealed himself to him. In this moment, that's what's happening. God wants a conversation with you and me. He wants to hear from you, and he wants you to hear him. But we need to be ready for God to speak to us. We need to be ready for God to speak to us. Samuel was ready. Even though he didn't catch it right away, he was ready to listen. Because as soon as he heard the voice, he ran to Eli, because that's whose voice he was accustomed to listening to, was Eli. He, there was already someone in his life who was further along in his faith that, that Samuel was willing to listen to and ready to listen to. And now God steps in and speaks to him. He had not received the Holy Spirit yet, but God is going to, in this moment, show him the plan for his life. We've got to be ready. Because in those days, God had been quiet. That's how the chapter starts. God was quiet in those days. God didn't, wasn't speaking to people regularly. That The people were full of sin and, and they had rejected God and God was quiet in that day. And now he's ready to speak to this young boy. Not the wise old Eli, no. Probably a preteen. Like the preteen gets to hang out with God next to the Ark of the Covenant, that should tell us something about our faith and what our faith should be like. He was ready to listen and hear. And then Eli tells him, go and listen 
and do what God says. You need someone in your life who will tell you to do what God says. And God will never tell you to do something that's outside of his character. God will never tell you to do something that is against his word. God will never tell you to do something that is in opposition to who he is. Never. And so if someone is telling you to do one of those things that's opposite of God's word, opposite of God's character, opposite of of the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ, they're not listening to God. And you shouldn't listen to them. But Eli tells him to listen to God and do what he says. And so what does God tell Samuel? Does he give Samuel a grand plan for his life? Hey, Samuel, I've got you. Uh, My spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be this great guy, and and you're going to share all these great, you know, I'm going to take care of you. Life is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. No. Let's see what he says to Samuel. Verse 11. Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. Verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. I'm glad he mentioned that everyone has two ears. That's important. But this word tingle is important because it's not like we think of tingle like, oh, so good and cute. No. This tingle is like somebody hitting a giant bell with a hammer. That's the tingle. It's going to reverberate through all of Israel. This is a loud sound that will not be pleasant. It's going to shock the nation of Israel. Verse 12, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Boy, I bet he was restless. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son? And he said, here I am. Eli said, what is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything. And hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Most of us would love to walk through life unscathed because of our foolishness. We usually don't, but we would like that. We would like to walk through life with no consequence 
to our rebellion, our stupidity, anything that would, we would look back and say, that was a bad idea. But the reality is consequences don't just disappear. And the Lord in this passage is very clear that attitudes and actions that go unchecked have significant consequences. It doesn't mean, unfortunately, for Eli's sons, uh, their actions were beyond redemption. The good news for you and me is that no action or attitude that you have or word that you say is beyond redemption. That, that Jesus Christ died for your sin, past, present, future, and he covers your sin. And so your eternal consequence has been handled. But that doesn't mean there aren't temporary consequences to our attitudes and actions. And for Eli, Samuel gets to share with him, remember, this is a preteen telling perhaps a grandfather type age person that God's judgment is coming. Who would sign up for that duty? Nobody. He didn't want to tell him. He couldn't sleep. He did not want to go to Eli and say, hey, buddy, uh, your house is going to crumble. Your tenure as priest is over. Your boys, they're going to die. We already know that from the previous chapter. But your lineage and your priesthood will end. It's over because of your sons. And not just because of your sons, but because of you. You as a parent didn't restrain your boys, moms and dads. We have responsibility. We have culpability when our angels get their halo dirty. But Samuel has to tell him this. Can you imagine the struggle? He, he loved Eli. He, he was his mentor. He, he was the person he looked up to, the person he served. He, he was Eli's servant. And now he has to tell him that because of your sin and the sin of your family, your priesthood is over. Your term is done. But he did tell Eli. He honored God in that moment when he had a tough thing to say. He honored Eli in the moment. And, and one of the great Results of this passage is that Eli honored the Lord by listening to Samuel. He listened to Samuel. He didn't provide him 15 excuses on why he wasn't a better dad, why he wasn't responsible for his grown adult sons. No, he listened to the Lord. He listened to the Lord through Samuel. This was God preparing Samuel for much greater things but it was also preparing Eli for his future. And Eli honored the Lord with his response. He demonstrated great maturity, great trust in God. When he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. He trusted God that, that if this is the consequence of my action and my family's action, I will trust God to see it through. And so how do you respond? How do I respond when we receive bad news from somebody? Not just bad news like somebody's in the hospital, 
when bad news about my own action or my family member's action? How do I respond to that? Do I receive that well? Do I see, receive that with trust and understanding? Or do I fill my response with excuse and defense? Eli honored the Lord with what he, how he responded. He didn't try to eliminate the consequences, which is what we do. He trusted in the Lord's sovereign power. He understood the standard of God. He understood God's standard and he surrendered to it. We're going to sing about that in a few minutes. About surrendering to God. And so he listens well and he honors the Lord. Now, the reality is Eli's priesthood didn't end for 130 years. Now, Eli didn't live that long, but it was actually his great-grandson was the last in his family to be a priest. So the consequence of that sin didn't happen immediately. It happened 130 years later. Consequences aren't always in the moment, but they're real. And so Eli's family his priesthood ended with his great-grandson. But he listened to the Lord. He took what the Lord had to say. And Samuel, all the way through, listened to the Lord. And so as you and I think about Samuel's conversation with Eli, one of the things that strikes me is that Samuel listened closely to God and he listened for what God had to say, which was a hard word, like a hard message for Samuel to share. But he listened to it and he took it. And then he actually shared that message with Eli. And Eli took it and he received it with maturity and grace. And then Samuel began to speak all across Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, the whole nation. And everything that Samuel said, God honored. Not one of his words fell to the ground. They weren't dismissed. Everything that he said, people knew this is a young man who listens to God. And so for us, what does that mean? It means that when you and I listen to God, when we're, we're paying attention to what God has to say when we're listening to his word, when we're surrounding ourselves with the things of God, other people will listen to you. They'll listen to you because they know you're full of truth. They, they, they know you have their best interest in mind, that you don't have some ulterior motive because you're devoted to the Lord and you're listening to God. You're listening for the Lord. You have that relationship with him. Most of us are not great at listening. We have a tough time even hearing these days. Do you know what hearing is about? It's, it's sound waves vibrating against your eardrum. That's how you hear. When sound waves vibrate against your eardrum. Some of you have better eardrums than others. Particularly those of you younger than those of us that are older. And some of you have selective hearing. You only hear certain sound waves because you choose to ignore the rest. But you know the loudest sound in the world actually comes from the, the, the animal world, from, from a sperm whale. It's those giant whales. Some people think that might have been the fish that swallowed Noah. 
But a sperm whale can, can sing, that's what they call it, sing at 200 decibels. And that song, it's crazy, I had to make sure I was right, I had to reread it in my notes, 10,000 miles underwater, that sound can travel. That's crazy. To put it in perspective, a jet engine is about 150 decibels, uh, a jackhammer is about 100. When, if you're ever here at the 930 service and the orchestra gets really cranked up and, and we got the trumpets and the whole nine yards, we're like 96 to 98 <laughs> Amen to the trumpets. You know what's on the other end? A whisper at 15 decibels. We can technically hear zero decibels. I'm not a good whisperer, my family will tell you that. I don't know. I don't know. It's a hazard of the job, I guess. But this passage, all about this young boy, is really about listening. Are you listening to what God has for you? Does everyone in your little sphere of influence, do they know you're listening to the Lord? Do they trust your words because they know you're hearing from God? Do they know that you're surrendered to the will of God? And no matter what happens, no matter what the outcome is of any circumstance, you would say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And you can speak that truth to others and they will listen because they know you're connected to God. That's my prayer for us, is that we would surrender to him. We're going to sing a song that's been around a long, long time here in just a moment with a very simple message of surrender. That's what God was calling Eli, Samuel to do, is to surrender himself to the call of God. That's what we need to do. Surrender ourselves to the call of God and listen for him. Will you pray with me?